This is the Equity Management Academy Marketplace Weekly Podcast for July 20th, 2022. Gold's role in the largest debt crisis in history. Summary. Reuters reported on July 15, 2022 that a dozen countries are at risk of defaulting on their loans. Lebanon, Sri Lanka, Russia, Suriname, and Zambia are already in default. Many more are at risk as borrowing costs and inflation rise on top of record debt levels around the world. The entire developing world is at risk. The World Bank says that in the next year, as many as a dozen countries will not be able to service their debt. The pain has spread. Reuters reported on July 15, 2022, that a dozen countries are at risk of defaulting on their loans. Lebanon, Sri Lanka, Russia, Suriname, and Zambia are already in default. Many are more at risk as borrowing costs and inflation rise on top of record record debt levels around the world. Argentina owes more than $150 billion, while Ecuador and Egypt owe between $40 and $45 billion. Hopefully, the International Monetary Fund can help avoid a wave of defaults, especially if the global economic system can settle down somewhat. For Argentina, the peso trades at a 50% discount on the black market. Bonds trade at 20 cents on the dollar, and reserves are extremely low. No substantial debt payments are due until 2024, but a crisis is looming unless Argentina economic situation markedly improves. With the Russian invasion, Ukraine will have to restructure its more than 20 billion in debt. Some 1.2 billion in bond payments are due in September, which Ukraine could pay with aid money and reserves. State-run Naftogaz asked for a two-year debt freeze this week, which suggests the government might, might do the same. Africa has many countries at risk of default, led by Tunisia. The country has nearly a 10% budget deficit, one of the world's highest public sector wage bills, and there are questions about whether Tunisia can continue to meet the IMF program's requirements for debt payments. Compared to U.S. bonds, investors are demanding 2,800 basis points to buy Tunisian bonds. Ghana debt-to-GDP ratio hit 85%, and its currency has lost nearly 25% of its value this year. Ghana already spends more than half its tax revenue on debt payments, and inflation is close to 30%. Egypt has a 95% debt-to-GDP ratio. Egypt owes $100 billion in hard currency debt over the next five years. Egypt devalued their currency 15% and asked the IMF for help in March. Bond spreads are now at more than 1,200 basis points compared to U.S. bonds. 
Kenya spends about 30% of its revenues on interest payments already. Their bonds have lost almost half their value, and they have a $2 billion bond due in 2024. Ethiopia, El Salvador, Pakistan, Belarus, Ecuador, and Nigeria are facing similar crises with debt payments coming due and economies under severe pressure due to rising interest rates and inflation, often leading to social unrest. Sri Lanka. Gravitas Plus reported on the crisis in Sri Lanka, the West saw the 1980s as a boom time. Latin America saw the 1980s as a lost decade. They faced financial turmoil and a debt typhoon. Two oil shocks sent oil prices sky high and took their foreign debt to new highs. Mexico in 1982 defaulted on its debts and then one country after another in Latin America faced debt defaults, high unemployment and crashing economies. Today, Sri Sri Lanka is facing a similar crisis. The country has high debt. They spent more than the national income while cutting taxes. Externally, the cost of borrowing rose while the cost of food increased after Russia invaded Ukraine. All of it led to a collapse of the Sri Lankan government and economy. The Sri Lankan crisis could spread. More countries are set to fall. The entire developing world is at risk. Just days before Russia invaded Ukraine, the World Bank issued a warning that the developing world was facing a debt crisis. 70 countries, low- and middle-income countries, facing debt payments, debt repayments of $11 billion, which could easily overwhelm them. Then Russia invaded Ukraine and threw supply chains into turmoil. Oil prices skyrocketed. In March, the UN reported that 107 countries faced at least one of three crises. Rising food prices, rising energy prices, or a tougher financial situation. 69 countries faced all three risks in Africa, Asia, and Latin America. Egypt is down to only three months of grain reserves. Lebanon has seen food prices increase 11 times and the currency fell 90% of its value. There is a bread shortage due to the war in Ukraine. Argentina is facing increasing inflation and has defaulted on its debt payments nine times. El Salvador and Peru also face increasing commodity prices and high debt. Ghana, Ethiopia, Kenya, and South Africa face similar problems. Turkey has increasing debt and soaring inflation. The World Bank says that in the next year, as many as a dozen countries will not be able to service their debt. It will be the largest debt crisis in history. Many states in India have debt-to-GDP ratios similar to Sri Lanka. The entire world is in debt distress. Governments have to cut spending or borrow even more. Creditors must offer contingency plans to borrowers. We need better ways to manage 
shocks with less developed nations prone to disaster when shocks hit. The G20 should help use the framework they are developed to structure debt to cover all poor countries. We should also promote more alternatives to borrowing, such as improving tax collection. We should increase accountability and transparency, such as further clarify in Chinese lending, which often include clauses that allow China to dictate other countries' domestic policies in exchange for funding. That is, in part, what happened in Sri Lanka. Economic crises are a security issue and we must act to better manage economic crises so they do not turn into international security crises. The lost decade. For Latin America, the 1980s were a lost decade. Many Latin American countries failed to make the payments under foreign debt. In the 1970s, oil spiked to record highs twice, which led to many Latin American countries experiencing current account deficits. Countries that exported oil had current account surpluses. The U.S. government encouraged banks to take deposits from the oil exporters and lend that money to the oil importers. Under the system, Latin American borrowing skyrocketed in the 1970s. In 1970, debt stood at $31.371 billion. But by 1982, debt hit $1.1 trillion. Some analysts began to warn about U.S. banks' risk in lending so much to Latin American countries. Such warnings went unheeded, and by 1982, the nine largest U.S. money center banks held Latin American debt equal to 176% of their capital. In the early 1970s, the situation was stable, since short-term rates were almost zero and the world economy was growing. However, industrialized countries began to focus on lowering inflation rates, which led to the U.S., in Europe tightening their monetary policies. Nominal interest rates rose, and in 1981, the global economy went into a recession. At the same time, commercial banks began to change higher interest rates and impose shorter terms on their loans. Latin American countries quickly found it impossible to make their debt payments. In August 1982, the crisis began when Mexico informed the U.S. that Mexico could no longer service its debt, which then totaled $80 billion. Sixteen Latin American countries soon declared that they could not make their payments. Either 16 countries and 11 less developed countries in other parts of the world had to reschedule their debt payments. Banks began to stop foreign lending as they tried to collect on their existing loans. The sudden cut-off lending sent many Latin American economies into deep recessions. The previous system of heavy borrowing, high currency levels, high government intervention in the economy, and high domestic consumption, which was common in Latin America, could not continue. The U.S. Fed led an emergency meeting to address the crisis in tandem with other central banks. 
They, get, they gave Mexico a bridge loan and encouraged U.S. banks to reschedule Mexico's debt. As the crisis spread, the U.S. became a lender of last resort. Bank restructured loans while the International Monetary Fund and other governmental agencies lent countries enough to pay the interest, but not the principal on loans. In return, the indebted countries restructured their economies and cut budget deficits. The plan was for the reforms to increase exports, which could generate trade surpluses and dollars to pay the external debt. The crisis was averted. But the basic problem continued. Instead of reducing state-owned companies, many Latin American countries cut spending on infrastructure, health, and education while freezing the wages of government employees. This led to high unemployment, a drop in income, and a slow or negative growth. U.S. banks could also delay having to recognize the full losses on their loans. It soon became clear that the loans would never be repaid. Banks began to set up loan loss provisions. The U.S. government also realized that Latin American countries could not repay their loans while also growing economically. Under Secretary of the Treasury Nicholas Brady's plan, loan principles were reduced between 1989 and 1994. Banks forgave $61 billion in loans, about one-third of the total. The 18 countries that participated in the Brady Plan agreed to further reform so they could service their reduced debt. Despite evidence of the problem, most involved did not recognize the problem until it had become a crisis. The U.S. re-reacted by weakening bank regulations so banks with large loans would not go insolvent. The actions staved off a panic, but it allowed the big banks to avoid the effects of their earlier risk lending practices. The, the experience may have led to increased risk-taking as we have seen in recent years. The World Bank says that in the next year, as many as a dozen countries will not be able to service their debt. It will be the largest debt crisis in history. Many states in India have debt-to-GDP ratios similar to Sri Lanka. The entire world is in debt distress. Governments have to cut spending or borrow even more. Gold price history the 1970s-1980 gold bull market. The gold bubble of the 1980s. The stale phase of the gold bubble of the 1980s started in the 1970s. Gold was under $35 when President Nixon took the US dollar off the gold standard and it became the petrodollar or the world's reserve currency. Gold set around $75 and then it began to enter a takeoff phase. The cycle then began the next major long-term bull market. The price of gold rallied from its mean at around $150. Institutional investors then began to enter the market in the awareness phase, rallying gold up to $200 an ounce. 
Then, in about 1976, the CFTC changed the margin requirements for gold and silver. The Hunt family, which had a huge position in silver, led to a liquidation and a bull trap around 1976-77, losing billions in the process. The market then got media attention. The mania phase then started. Gold got more media attention and the price rose $200 to about $400 relatively fast before there was a small sell-off. Enthusiasm grew and spread throughout the public due to dollar weakness. The interest led to more buying and gold topping $800 an ounce. Money spoke about gold topping 2000 an ounce at a time when the debt crisis was hitting Latin America in the early 1980s. Gold reached nearly $900. From 1981, Fed Chairman Volcker under President Reagan raised interest rates to about 20% to combat runaway inflation. The fear was that the U.S. dollar would continue to decline, so gold became more and more desirable. Then gold hit a bull trap and collapsed to below 600. The panic came in and gold fell into early 1983. When Russia invaded Ukraine recently, gold topped at $2,084 an ounce. The longer term chart shows that gold began to break out of the upside once Nixon took the US dollar off the gold standard. Since then, the US dollar has declined in value against gold. The dollar has lost about 98% of its value since then as the world's reserve currency. The fundamentals are now extremely bullish. The third world debt crisis is spreading. Media attention is beginning to focus on uh, debt defaults, which should lead to a run on gold, only to find shortages in gold as we did back in 2020. Gold should rise in value rapidly to more than $5,000 an ounce in about 2024. We entered the stealth phase in the early 2000s. Gold traded around 750 and we began to see smart money come into the market and take physical gold off the market. The market broke $1,000 an ounce by 2006. In 2008, we had a recession which broke the gold market and brought it back down to just below $1,000 an ounce. The awareness phase began when the institutional investors realized that the U.S. dollar would not continue to decline. Inflation would continue to increase and stay in the market as a consequence of all the money printing and gold rallied all the way up to more than $1,900 an ounce in 2011. In 2012, the government lifted the uptick rule, which allows central banks to short-sell naked futures contracts in unlimited amounts. We began to see the paper market price of gold fall as even uh, as demand for physical gold continued to grow. Gold fell to a low of about 1,050 into a bear trap in 2016-17 as the shorts were covered 
God rallied back up through 2018. The Fed began to raise interest rates, which, which coincided with the bottom of the gold market. By 2018 and 2019, the Fed had to lower interest rates again, and gold rose again. Since then, interest rates have risen from 0.33 on the 10-year note yield in March 2020 to 350 recently. A massive increase in interest rates in a short period of time, which is leading to the threat of another international debt crisis. In 1981, there was about $61 billion written off. Today, we are looking at more than $400 billion that is threatened with default. Gold is rising quickly, even with the media stories that gold is not going to go anywhere. We see gold rising to about $3,000 an ounce, and then it will enter the enthusiasm stage. The public will then rush in, and gold will hit 4000 Gold will hit the delusion phase in a new paradigm. Gold will hit 5500 in 2024. After the high, gold will enter another bull trap and fear will drive gold down below 4000 Gold will then return to its mean at about 1500 to $2,000 an ounce. Much will depend on how the Fed tries to adjust interest rates. The 10- and 12-year rates are now inverted, with the shorter-term note trading higher than the longer-term note. The inversion if the inversion occurs on the 30-year bond, too, it will be a strong indication that we are entering into a deep recession. This is a general opportunity in gold to make some significant profits. Conclusion As we take a look at the charts above, we can see gold is currently entering the mania phase. As third-world debt crisis increasing, Gold will play a major role in the monetary system. Price discovery will overtake the price suppression and manipulation by central banks. The media attention phase develops as the data begins to come in regarding Latin American debt defaults that could precipitate a massive run to gold only to find a shortage of physical supplies. This could perpetuate the acceleration of the enthusiasm phase due to the public and retail demand, that could ignite greed and delusion into a blow-off phase within a peak in gold of over $5,000 an ounce in 2024. Thank you for listening. If you want to learn more about what we do, please go to the Equity Management Academy, ematotrade.com, or listen to any of our previous episodes. Are you looking for an automated artificial intelligence trading system? Do you want to analyze commodities and financial markets to determine when to buy and sell? Looking for an indicator to predict future trends in the commodities and financial markets? Welcome to EMA2 Trade Live Signals. 
our Variable Changing Price Momentum Indicator, VCPMI, is an automated AI trading system developed and tested over a decade. The VCPMI algorithm is based on age-old vortex mathematics combined with Fibonacci wave theory, trend analysis, pivot points, and several other widely accepted financial analytical methods. The VCPMI can help you take emotions out of your trading and rely on simple mathematics to predict future trends in financial markets. This approach will make your trading more effective, consistent, and profitable. VCPMI Algorithm The VCPMI code points and levels are support and resistance levels and behave exactly like any historical supply and demand level. Therefore, the VCPMI code levels are useful as an index tool for both day trading and for selecting and exercising entries and exits for longer term traders. Why VCPMI? The VCPMI relies on artificial intelligence to analyze markets and predicts future movements, which seek to determine what a security or commodity is worth at a given point in time. The VCPMI uses technical analysis in the form of mean reversion trading, which seeks to capitalize on extreme changes in the pricing of a particular market based on the assumption that it will revert to its previous state. The VCPMI can be applied to both buying and selling as it allows a trader to profit on unexpected upswings and save when security or commodity is trading at an abnormal level. Visit ema2trade.com for more details.